Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, as we come this morning, we we think about the Apostle John and how he was caught up into heaven and he got to see glorious and wonderful things. But Lord, we thank you that today, as we gather here in your name, that we also get to see glorious things, things from your word. And we just pray for you to work in our hearts to open, to enlighten our eyes, to see the truths of your word. God, that you would apply these truths to our lives, that we would really begin to grasp and to understand and to walk in the great blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for any that might be here today that maybe don't know you, that that they would hear the words of life for the first time. We pray for the work of your Spirit in our hearts and in our lives this morning, dear God. We ask these not only for our own benefit, but also for your namesake, for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In the Old Testament, when Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Jerusalem, he brought Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to his capital city, that is Babylon, as his prisoner. Now, now Babylon was an incredible city, kids. I wish I had some pictures that I could show you, but they had these great palaces and these huge uh, halls that they would meet in and have celebrations. The walls of the city were huge. They even had hanging gardens, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. And as you might think of Zedekiah coming into the city, even though he was a prisoner, which obviously wasn't optimal circumstances, you know, you, you couldn't help but think that Zedekiah just had to be amazed at everything that he saw in, in Babylon. But the reality is he wasn't. And the reason he wasn't is, is because before Nebuchadnezzar had him brought to Babylon, he had his eyes gouged out. So kids, Zedekiah was blind, and so he couldn't see any of the glory or anything that was around him. And as we come to our text today in Ephesians, you know, Paul is saying to us as Christians, we're a little bit like Zedekiah sometimes. Sometimes we're exposed to the glorious and magnificent realities around us that we've been reading about in verses 3 through 14. And yet we can be blind like Zedekiah where we don't see. We don't understand the truths of the gospel and grasp them sometimes in a way where we get to walk in the fullness of life. It doesn't mean that we don't walk in the truths of the gospel, but maybe we don't see them to the extent and the glory uh, that they are uh, to us. I think, kids, that can oftentimes be true for you as you grow up in the church and you just hear, oh, Jesus died for my sins. You know, he was resurrected. And we just think of that as like a, oh, yeah, that's sort of neat. Rather than understanding the wonderful, glorious gospel that we have received. But Paul wants us to know that it's not just enough to be taught these things. Um, But they, as we said last time, they have to sort of be prayed in, as it were, by the energy of the Holy Spirit uh, and and intercessory prayer that these things might take root in our hearts and that they might grow and cause us to be sanctified and to grow in our faith. And so Paul prays that these Christians might know the truth and the power and the glory of these blessings of God's amazing grace, not merely know what they are, 
but know in their hearts and in their innermost beings the sweet praise-filled truth of them. You know, there's a huge difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing that person, being personally and intimately related to them. And you can be acquainted with the doctrines of grace and yet be a stranger to the power and the grace of God's love and mercy in Christ. You see, the Christian life is to be experiential. It's something that we are to walk in and that we are to know. Uh, If you look at the end of the book of Ephesians in verse 24, how does Paul end this book? He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It's not grace be to all who know the doctrines that are taught in this book or know the realities, but those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. It just sort of underscores the deeply personal nature of of a believing life. And so Paul, after giving thanks or giving praise for the Ephesians, which we talked about last week, now goes into his petitions or his prayers for the Ephesians. And, and this is a good example for us that we need to keep in mind that we must pray not only for ourselves and for those in our households, but also for the household of faith, for the church, that we're praying for one another. You know, as, as you are reading through the, the prayer sheet this week and the different family, the different households that you are to pray for and the elders of our church that you are to pray for, and you're thinking, well, what do I pray for that person? I don't know what's going on in their life. Well, one, I encourage you to get to know what's going on in their life. But if nothing else, pray scripture. You know, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, and just begin to pray through that for them. And so, uh, you know, as we consider Paul's petitions, we must remember, though, that these uh, were Christians that he is praying for, people who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, that they've been given a saving knowledge of God and a close walking communion with him. These Christians who appreciate God's sovereignty and his redeeming love. So I want you to understand that we never grow out of the need to be prayed for as Christians. We need to support one another and pray for one another. And so this morning what I want us to do is just to look at Paul's uh, primary petition to the saints. What exactly is it that he's praying for? And then he begins to unpack uh, that prayer list by giving three other things to pray for. So, first of all, I want us to look at that petition that he prays for. And really what Paul is praying for is that we may know God more. That we may know God more. Look, if you would, at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, what Paul's talking about here is not just mere head knowledge. He's not praying that we can rattle off a bunch of facts about God, but he's praying that we would know God experientially. You know, there's a personal recognition here. I mean, think about a baby or a toddler. We have a lot of kids in our church, right? Well, you know, just think about a baby or a toddler and how they know their mother. You know, the the infant may not know much about mom, may not know how tall she is or how old she is or where she grew up or where she went to school or anything like that. But that baby, I can guarantee you, knows its mom. And that baby can be crying and you can hand that baby off to another lady in the church, maybe even to grandma. And uh, that baby will go, okay, this is okay, but this is not mom because I know my mother. 
And it's that kind of, of knowing that he's talking about, that kind of experiential knowledge is what Paul prays that we will have about our Lord and Savior, to know him deeply and intimately. You know, God doesn't want us to settle for just a bare minimum of knowledge of what you think we need for salvation. And kids and young people, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. It's not this that you need to know a little bit about God and therefore you're better than maybe your friends or other people you know. But kids, God wants you to know him. If somebody were to say to you, tell me about your God. Tell me about him. What's he like that you could talk and you could share with them who God is? Um, Paul wants us to have the spirit and to know God personally and to know that we are known by God. You know, brothers and sisters, when you speak with others about God, do you speak about what the Lord is doing in your life? Or are your conversations primarily factual or geared towards theological issues or theological debate and treaties? Or is there a personal aspect of that? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't know our theology, and I'm not saying that we should only know God experientially. It's, it's impossible to know God experientially if we don't know the truth of his word as well. But as we saw this morning in Sunday school, uh, as we saw the young ruler's understanding of the law, he didn't understand that the law had an aspect of we are to be living that out as well. And it's the same way uh, with us as well. Now, many of you might know Rosaria Butterfield, or at least you've heard of her. I know some of you ladies have gone through the book club that we had and you read her book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And maybe you've read a number of her books and you know that she came out of a homosexual lifestyle. She's come to faith in Jesus Christ. She actually got married. She's a pastor's wife of an RP pastor. Uh, she's a wife, an author. She's a speaker. And you might be able to tell me a lot of facts about her. And you may have read her books. You may have even gone to a conference where she spoke or something or watched her on YouTube. And you can tell me some interesting facts about her. But uh, our son Ben, when he was at Patrick Henry College in Virginia, uh, the, the Butterfields just lived across the street from the, the college. And they would invite college students over every Sunday evening to come and just enjoy a time of fellowship, play games, have snacks and things like that. And if Ben were here this morning or any of those other college students, they could probably tell you thing about the Butterfield family that you're not going to pick up in a book. They could tell you uh, who they are as a family and what they're like. And it's a lot that way with God. And so likewise, Paul prays that we would know God more personally. Now, what specifically is he praying for that we might know him more personally? Well, these are the three things that I want us to see this morning. First of all, to understand the blessings that we already have. To understand the blessings that we already have. You see, Paul wants uh, more for us than we already have. And I want you to hear that. He wants more for us than we already have. Now, you may wonder, how is that possible? Paul went on in this huge long sentence uh, describing all that we have been given in Christ, our forgiveness and redemption and future reward. You know, we can't be any more loved than we are. We can't be any more forgiven in Christ than we are forgiven. So how can Paul want more for us than what we have? And you see, what Paul wants for us is to understand these blessings that we already have. And that's what he says in verse 18. He says, having the eyes of of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul wants us to see that we will further be blessed as we understand more completely the blessings that God has already given to us. And that's why he uses that phrase, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, at first glance, that to me sounds like a weird phrase. I mean, it seems like he, he ought to say, you know, when he's talking about eyes, you ought to say, you know, we pray that you will have your eyes opened. You know, you're thinking that God wants the Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we might see. But Paul says that he wants the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. Now think back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. And verses 22 and following, uh, Jesus talks about the eyes. And he says that the eyes are the lamp of your body. What he is saying is, is that the eyes are the, the vehicle or the, the instruments through which the desires of our hearts are manifested. We look upon something and we desire it, the, the desire that comes from our hearts, but it's expressed even in, uh, even in our scene so that Jesus can say, what your eyes desire tell you a lot about your heart. And when Paul speaks about the heart, he's speaking about the very core of our being. The heart's more than just the place of emotions. You know, whenever we, we you know, what, what's, what's the Disney slogan? You know, follow your heart, right? You know, just follow your emotions. Follow your, your, your instincts. And that's what we oftentimes think of. But when the Bible talks about the heart, it talks about the seat of our being. It's where the will is located. It's where the mind thinks. It's where the emotions are found. And when, what Paul says is, is that I want the very core of your being to have its eyes enlightened. Now, the Holy Spirit has already opened our eyes, and so that's why Paul talks about just the need for enlightening the eyes of our being. Paul says, I want you to see more of what it means that you are adopted. Yes, you are adopted in Jesus Christ, and yes, you understand that to a certain degree, but I want you to understand the fullness of what it means that you are adopted. Do you understand how much God loves you? I think oftentimes we don't. We don't. We understand it to a degree, but Paul is praying that we would understand that completely, what it means that, that we are for example, adopted or forgiven or whatever we're seeking to understand. Paul says, I want you to know, I want the lights of your understanding to come on and you to marvel at the depth of the reality of God's blessing that's poured out upon you. It sort of reminds me of a, a lamp that we have in our house. And uh, it's one of those lamps where you turn it once and the light comes on, you turn it again and it gets brighter and you turn it again and switch and it gets brighter still. And oftentimes people will come into our house and they'll turn the lamp on and they'll sit down and read or do needlepoint or something else where they need some light and they'll have it on the lowest setting and that just sort of drives me nuts. And so I walk over lots of times and I'll flip it another time and another time and I'll turn it on really bright and I'll say, well, how's that? And they'll go, oh, that's much better. And that's sort of what Paul is saying to us. You know, we have our lights on dim and so we see somewhat of what it is that God has done for us. But Paul is saying, I pray that you'd flip, that the Spirit would flip that switch up a couple more notches and help you to see uh, and understand what it is that God has done. You know, we, we live in a fallen world whose eyes are blind to the reality of who God is and how his creation is supposed to work. 
And so every day we are bombarded with those lies of what to think and how to live and what our priorities are to be. And Paul prays for the believer uh, that he wants us to, to see. He wants us to see. And what is it that he wants us to see? Well, look on at the text. It says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, Paul wants us to fully grasp the privileges that God has given to us. Now, kids, here again, that word hope is a word that we use every day in our language, but we use it differently in the Bible. You know, we use hope to express some kind of sort of vague uncertainty about the future that uh, we want to happen, but we're not really sure that will happen. I mean, it's, it's like if I said, boy, I sure hope there's chocolate cake back there in the other room. So after the worship service, when we eat, there's chocolate cake with chocolate frosting because I really like that. Now, do I know that there's cake, chocolate cake back there? Well, no, not if I say that. That's just something that I hope will happen. But in the Bible, when it uses that word hope, it's an expression about something that absolutely will happen. And hope in the future, but it's grounded in what Jesus has already done. So hope gives us full assurance of the future because we know it's, it's a reality. It is going to happen. And what that means is, is that we can have a sure hope in a world that's increasingly hopeless. And as we grow in our understanding of the hope that we have in Christ, the peace of Christ begins to rule in our hearts and the circumstances of our lives do not move us. We are sort of like an immovable rock because we are tethered to the immovable one, the immovable boulder, Jesus Christ, who will not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're facing here this morning. But as we set our hearts upon the hope that we have, we know that that will not change. Your circumstances will be up and down and everywhere. And the things that happen in your life, but the hope that we have in Christ will, will never change. Our world today doesn't have that hope. There are those whose world has been rocked by the recent elections because their candidate didn't get elected or their, their world is just in a frizzy because the person they voted against did get elected and they don't know what to do. And as a result, they are depressed and confused and they're just uh, uncertain about their future. But this shouldn't surprise us that the world is like that. But, but even as Christians, we can be tempted to set our well-being on our circumstances of life. And like shifting sand, if, if things don't work out the way that we desire, what happens? Our world comes crashing down. But Paul's prayer is for us that we would be set upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is immovable and will not change. Paul says to us that we should take great confidence in the sure hope that we have because of what God has done. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I, like I said, I don't know what you're wrestling with today. I don't know what you're worrying about. I don't know what keeps you up at night. It is my prayer for you that you may know the sure hope to which God has called you. To know that you don't need to worry about those things because the things that are most important, God has already established. Well, second, we need to know the extent of the blessings that come from God. Know the extent of the blessings that come from God. Look at what he said. He said, That you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now we've talked about that. What does inheritance mean? Is that something we receive? Or is that something that we are? 
And I think that as we looked at this earlier, we came to the conclusion that it's really both of those things. That we receive the hope of glory. We spend eternity in heaven with God, but we are his inheritance in the sense that we are his people. And so it's not just that we get to go to heaven, and heaven is a wonderful place. It is that we get to go to heaven, and we get to fellowship with our God, and he fellowships with his people. And so uh, as we come uh, this morning and we think about the glorious inheritance, uh, we think about what has been lavished upon us and the grace and the mercy that has been given to us. And Paul wants us to see, he wants to have our eyes of our understanding open to the, the riches that has been given to us. Now, the amount of earthly riches that each of us have in this room is different. Some of us have more, some of us have less, and maybe for some people that's an obstacle because you feel like, well, I don't have as much as the next person, and so maybe I, yeah, I, I don't want them to come over to my house and you know see the kind of car I drive or the kind of house I have, and it may cause some kind of tension. But in Christ, we all have the same. And, and what Paul says here, he describes it as the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints. And Paul is saying, I want the eyes of your heart to see the riches that God gives, which cannot be corrupted by moth or rust, which cannot be stolen by a thief, which can't be destroyed by a storm. I want your eyes to be fixed on those riches, desiring those riches. Now, when we use that word riches, he's referring to that which doesn't lack anything. It means an abundance of possessions exceeding the norm of a particular society. You know, you might think about those men or women in our country who are incredibly wealthy. And you're thinking, okay, nobody has that kind of money. Just a few people. Well, that's the kind of riches that we have in Jesus Christ. It is the riches that are exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even imagine. And Paul wants the eyes of our souls to, to look not upon the things of this world, not upon wealth or acceptance. Maybe some of us, maybe your hearts are seeking to be respected by other people. But God instead wants you to see that your eyes ought to be set upon the riches that you have in Jesus Christ, and especially in those times when we feel lacking in regard to the things of this world, that we need to understand that those things are passing. We need to let those things go. We need to instead focus upon who we are in Jesus Christ. We are to seek the spiritual blessings that are ours more than we are to seek the, the uh, we are to seek the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ rather than the worldly blessings. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you satisfied in Christ? Think about that. Are you satisfied in Christ? Would you be satisfied in Christ if you never, and then fill in the blank. Maybe that's, you know, are you satisfied in Christ if you never get your dream job? Or you never get the house that you've always wanted? Or it is you never found the spouse that you thought you wanted and you never got married? Or are you satisfied in Christ if you never attended the school that you've always wanted to go to? Or what if your kids or your grandkids didn't turn out the way that you expected? Would you be satisfied in Christ? If God began to take away from you all the things that you have set your heart upon and, and all that was left was Jesus Christ, would you be content? Would you be satisfied? 
Paul tells us that that's where we must begin to find our satisfaction in the blessings given to us by God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, he prays that they would know the power of God. Look at verse 19. This is, uh, it's important, I think, for us to see the power that God has because for us, we are weak, are we not? I mean, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you ever think about this, but we really live our lives completely each and every day out of a sense of weakness. We try to get a sense of control. We try to feel a sense of power. But really, everything is so beyond our control, it's just incredible. And so there's really a sense of weakness. And, and you struggle with sin, and I struggle with sin. Now, you don't see how I struggle, and I don't always see how you struggle. But each and every one of us, in one way or another, struggles with sin. And it's also obvious that we can't do everything that we want to do. We have the, these weaknesses that are in our lives. And so that's why Paul says that you may know what is the immeasurable, now look, listen to this, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now, I know that sentence goes on, and that's for next week's sermon, okay? So I'm just going to stop there. But let's just take that little hunk and look at it. And, and I want you to see that what Paul is doing is, is like stacking term upon term upon term to describe the awesome power of God. It is immeasurable. In other words, you are not able to measure the power of God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a power that is so absolute that you cannot measure it? But God's power is so great that I think for, for us it's just beyond our comprehension. We operate so much out of a sense of weakness and when we think about the great might of power of God it just seems so abstract it just is like that doesn't apply to me. But Paul wants us to see the enormity of God's power from a very practical perspective because we need that power in our everyday lives. And when Paul says that he would like us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power, we must understand that that word power doesn't mean, you know, raw power, but it's a it's a an operative power. It's a it's a working power. It's a power that actually does things and changes things in people's lives. And as we live the Christian life, we can't go uh, one hour without experiencing our weaknesses and propensity to sin, whether that be in our words or our actions or thoughts. So we need that power and we need that strength. And Paul is praying that we would know that we have that power, not in and of ourselves, but as we abide in Jesus Christ. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians twelve nine? My grace is sufficient for you for power or for yeah for power is what perfected in weakness and Paul describes the extent of that power he said it's not only great but it's beyond great it's immeasurable and there's nothing that we can do to compare it and brothers and sisters I want you to know that that power is available now today to all who believe Paul gets very personal here, I want you to see. It's interesting that up until this point, when you start at verse 15, he's sort of using the second person pronouns, okay? Your faith, your love, uh, give thanks to you that God would give you the eyes of your heart. He's, he's talking in this sense, but in verse 19, he brings it very personable. He says, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward not you, but us. You see, Paul says, I need that power. 
the Apostle Paul, the writer of almost half of the New Testament, the planter of most of the churches that were planted in the New Testament time, the great missionary and evangelist, the great apologist, the one who endured suffering and persecution, he said, I need that power as well. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that this power is available to you in each and every circumstances of your life. You know, when you think that you can't work through your marriage, you have the great power of God. When your family is falling apart, you have the great power of God. When you begin to think that you'll never find a spouse and you feel so lonely and isolated, you have the great power of God. When your kids seem apathetic to the things of the Lord and you watch their hearts seem to grow more and more spiritually cold, you have the great power of God. When you struggle with depression and the circumstances of your life seem to be stacked against you and you seems like there's nothing that you can do about it, that may be true, but you have the great power of God. You see, Paul is praying that you would not only know that this power is there, but you would experience that power in your life as you trust him daily in the moments of your life. And as you spend that time looking to him in prayer, as you spend that time in his word and you read and you see the character of who your God is and the promises that he has given to you. And you really understand by faith that those promises are true and you seek to walk in the midst of those promises. You see the power of God at work in your lives. It doesn't mean Satan's not there battling against you. We're not there yet, but you look at Ephesians 6 and you see that Satan is very much coming against you. But that power is so great that we battle against the hierarchy of the demonic realm. It's not left to the peons, but we battle against the top dogs, you know, but God's power is so great to overcome that. Now, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't pray that you would have this power because he knows that you already do. But Paul's prayer and my prayer for you, and I hope your prayer for each other, is that we will walk in that power. That we will not just be satisfied to walk in our own abilities to the best that we can and try to live the Christian life the best way we can. But instead, that we would walk in such great power that we would see God at work in our midst in mighty and great ways. You know, our ultimate identity is not just to be in Christ, but it is to be like Christ. Do you understand that? Do you define yourself that way? Do you define your life that way? That you are in Christ to be like Christ. So many Christians, when I say, who are you? They say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But you really get the feeling that the emphasis in that sentence is that they're a sinner. And that's really how they view themselves. And so uh, they probably identify themselves more with their struggle than what it is that God has done for them and what he is doing in and through them to make them like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to know it and to live based upon it. So brothers and sisters, how can we know these things? How can we experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? How can we be satisfied with our blessings in Christ? How can we know the certainty of our hope? It's only as we know God. It's only as we know God. Not that we know about Him, but by knowing Him, by spending time with Him, by abiding in Him. You see, this is God's prayer for God's people, that we would know the true and the living God. 
And in the building up and expansion of that relationship that we would know all the blessings and the provisions that he has given to us. That in the end we will realize that we have the power of God. That we have a relationship with God. And the certainty in that relationship that carries us through living in this world. But above all, that we have God himself in Jesus Christ. And that will never be taken away from us. In that we can hope. And that we can have hope and purpose and be encouraged and pray that others would know these same things and be glorified in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, bow our heads for a time of silence as we meditate upon the word this morning. Our Lord and our God, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us to know you. And that this knowledge would lead us to worship, to love, to praise, to trust in you. Uh, faith, Lord, to, to walk with you. We, I pray for us, Lord, as, as the week starts and as the many things on our to-do list pour down around us, almost to, to seek to bury us, that you would give us strength, Lord, to resist the temptation to react to our schedules. Instead, Lord, that we would draw away and be silent to be with you, to know you. Lord, to fellowship with you as we read your word and prayer. God, you know that we are weak. We are so weak. But we pray for your power um, to be at work in our lives. Lord, to overcome these things. Lord, we know that we are not left to ourselves. And so please, oh God, help us uh, to walk with you and to know you. God, uh, spur within us a desire to pray for one another and to encourage one another in these things as well. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.